Welcome to the Emerging Revolutionary War podcast. Emerging Revolutionary War is a public history platform that explores all aspects of the Revolutionary War with up-and-coming historians and connects this history to the places where it occurred. We strive to make it fun and engaging for all audiences. We have a blog and website, emergingrevolutionarywar.org, where you can check out frequent blog posts and history articles by numerous historians. In addition to our blog, we are active on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We host an annual symposium that takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, and we now also host Battlefield Bus Tours. We also have the Emerging Revolutionary War book series, published by Savas Beattie. To date, we have four titles out and more on the way. These books offer a brief, readable, and illustrated narrative and include self-guided tours of the battlefields. So far, we have books on Lexington and Concord, Trent and Princeton, Monmouth, and Valley Forge. Check them out wherever books are sold. We always offer speakers that can talk about a range of Revolutionary War topics, and our historians have been featured in places such as C-SPAN, American History TV, and Fox Nation documentaries. Make Emerging Revolutionary War your home for the 250th anniversary of America's independence. This show is filmed live every other week on our Facebook page, so if you'd like to watch these live and have an opportunity to engage with us, check us out every other Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, uh, everyone, for your patience. We've had uh, some technical difficulties. Apparently, Facebook now requires a two-step authentication, so that means um, just like trying to get into the Continental Army encampment at Valley Forge or Morristown, I needed a secondary uh, passcode. Uh, so tonight, though, we are uh, taking a virtual trip north into the Mohawk Valley to the uh, Fort. Uh, that's in a discussion with the Fort Plain um, and with Brian Mack, uh, who does uh, great things up there uh, to preserve the history. Um, I'll let Brian Mack jump into uh, his whole introduction, but he is uh, has a passion for his family and for history. Um, just like uh, when I was growing up, a lot of my family vacations included a stop at a historic site or two, uh, so I didn't fall too far from the uh, proverbial apple tree. Uh, he's involved with the Fort Plain Museum and Historical Park as a member of the Board of Trustees. He's a board member with the Stone Arabia Preservation Battlefield board member with the Mohawk uh, Country Association, or yeah, Country Association. Uh, he's also joined the board of the Dr. Joseph Warren Foundation. He still holds down a full-time job and actually can get into Nerf gun fights with his kids on the weekend. So I think he might sleep maybe, what, two, three hours a night or something. So, uh, Brian, uh, I'll let you take it in there to uh, kind of introduce yourself farther. Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you, Phil, for having me, and thank you to the good folks at Emerging Revolutionary War. I definitely appreciate you having me on. Um, I usually don't get asked to do these things. I usually uh, work behind the scenes, whether if it's putting on conferences or uh, speaking programs or you know selling uh, one of our many titles in our bookstores that I mail out to people. I felt like I made many new friends that way, but um, <laughs> but basically, uh, yeah, I grew up here in upstate New York, uh, pretty much in the Mohawk River Valley all my life. Um, Actually, where I kind of grew up was more Southern Adirondacks. Uh, so that's kind of the history I got into first. You know, like you said, you know, my parents, one of our family vacations was a, a long weekend up to Lake Placid. And, you know, we went to look at all the Olympic venue sites and uh, the abolitionist John Brown's homestead up there and and a few other sites, you know, added into some other fun things like, you know, we did, uh, I think it was called the North Pole Santa's Workshop. So they did a good job of mixing in history and and uh, fun stuff. And I'm kind of passing that along to my family as well. Um, I'm married to my great wife, Liz, who puts up with all this stuff <laughs> and me. <laughs> so she's definitely a saint. Um, I got two wonderful kids, uh, Grayson and Evelina. Uh, Grayson's going to be 10 here in about two weeks and Evelina turned to eight in August. And we have an Australian shepherd dog uh, named Sonny. And so basically, um, yeah, our, we do a lot of fun things. Whether if it's a family trip, we always set up a historic site or two. Uh, we do a lot of camping up at the Adirondacks. So, you know, a lot of times we, we hit stuff there. But, but basically, yeah, all my life, I, uh, you know, always had the, you know, history was always in my heart. I always loved the subject in school. Um, you know, definitely when they talked about the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, you know, that, that stuff really piqued my interest, especially you know, when they showed you first how they used to line up and just used to take aim and shoot back and forth at each other. That always kind of like, you know, always wowed me like, wow, they really did that and 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 what have you. But um, yeah, and basically then, you know, as I got older in high school, I went more towards the sports stuff and 
you know, avid Yankee and Vikings fan. And, you know, so I played those sports. And so, you know, history kind of was a back burner. But then when I went back to college, um, I, had a, I was required to take a history class, even though uh, my concentration major was accounting, auditing and, um, and stuff like that. So basically, I had to take one uh, kind of uh, uh, prerequisite qu class that was um, required for a four year degree. So I took a a religious history class because the, the college I graduated was from the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York. And so I took one uh, history, uh, it was a, a religious history class. The teacher was really great because he really tied a lot of the history that happened here in upstate New York. Um, you know, there were some of those, uh, you know, Christian movements and I believe um, the uh, Mormon uh, founder was also from up here before it actually went out west. So, you know, being, and then the way he did it was he actually tied what he was teaching, the sites that you could go see. So that started to pique my interest. And then when it came time, I had to do some community service for college. Um, I picked Old Fort Johnson just here outside of Amsterdam, New York. Uh, Old Fort Johnson is, is a 1747 homestead of Sir William Johnson. Um, he was a key landholder here in, in the Mohawk Valley. Uh, he had great relationships with the uh, Iroquois, especially in the Mohawk tribe. And basically he had a lot of influence over things and he ended up dying in uh, July of 1774. So just prior to the revolution and his family, uh, when the revolution started, all, all remained loyal to the crown and ended up losing all their holdings here in the Mohawk Valley and, and were forced up to Canada. But yeah, back to me. So basically real quick, I'll just uh, uh, finish up. So basically I volunteered at Old Fort Johnson, just really got it in the history. You know, my wife, before we were married one day, it was like, oh, let's take a ride in the car. And we started looking at the roadsides. We have this, uh, you know, the metal placards that have like little uh, history tidbits or two. So we, we started looking at this. So, you know, my interest has started to grow. And then uh, my wife, uh, where she lived across the street, uh, her and her brother, she has a younger brother, a couple of years younger. And there was a set of siblings that lived across the street from them and they were best friends with them. And their father actually is the chairman of the board of the Fort Plain Museum. So... <laughs> Uh, they, they did this wonderful event back in 2008. Um, this was before I was on the board. And they did this event where, because George Washington in 1783, uh, when it was July, August, towards the end of July, August, came up and he did like a trip through upstate New York. He went up north to Ticonderoga, Crown Point, you know, Saratoga Battlefield, uh, you know, came down through like Boston Spa area, which is the south of Saratoga. And then, you know, I, of course, stopped at Albany with Schuyler and and then he came out west here and wanted to look at all the things that happened out here. He went all the way out to Fort Schuyler, Fort Stanwix, uh, you know, check that out. He, then he actually kind of made his headquarters at Fort Plain, uh, which at the time when he was here was called Fort Rensselaer. I'll get more into that in a little bit. Uh, and basically they went and, you know, checked out the area, the Cherry Valley Massacre and spent, you know, several days here just touring and, you know, visiting with people. And, you know, when he was at Fort Plain, he actually, they inspected the troops, they had a dinner, they had like a little reception and, and, and what have you. But basically, yeah, and so they did this event based on that history and they had Dean Melissa who, um, who portrays George, or used to, I think he used to portray George Washington. I believe he might've retired now. So they had him up here and it was a great weekend. You know, this guy, actually, when you were talking to him, you actually thought you were talking to George Washington. That's how great he was. And so my wife and I went and we loved it. And so I, you know, I got to talk with uh, Norm Bullen, uh, Liz's uh, friend's parents, our friend's father there. And so basically as we got talking, he's like, Oh, you know, you should help out and volunteer. So we kind of, <laughs> kind of gave me the hook a little bit and I, I took it and, you know, I joined the board, I believe in like tw end of 2010. And here I am now. <laughs> Sorry. For oh, oh no, yeah, you're, you're fine. Uh, so the uh, good segue there is, is Washington toward the area. So uh, what's, let's go take a step back initially. What's important about um, why Fort Plain is there, the Mohawk Valley <laughs> or river Valley. Um, why is that? Why did the, why did they put forts there? I guess. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah, basically, well, the, the Fort and Fort Plain, you know, there was all these little settlements up and down, you know, both sides of the Mohawk River Valley. And in our area, uh, which is south of the Mohawk River Valley, it's called the Canajoharie District. If you go look on a map today, you see the town and village of Canajoharie, which is, you know, more on the eastern, uh, well, eastern part of the, what was Canajoharie back in the 18th century. Back in the 18th century, Canajoharie encompassed the whole land of what we call the noses. Uh, the noses are the two, like they're like mountain type 
breaks where the Mohawk River Valley flows through. And that's like the only actual uh, natural break in the Appalachian mountain chain is right there in the Mohawk River Valley is these two noses. So they basically look like two big cliffs on each side of the river, you know, looking at each other. So they call them the noses. And so basically from the noses going all the way west to uh, a little, almost about little, the current day city of Little Falls. So it encompasses a pretty large area. It was called the Canajahari District. And now if you go look at Canajahari, it's only a little smidgen of that, which, you know, Fort Plain was part of Canajahari. So you had this big district with all these settlements in. And so during the revolution, there was all these, you know, a lot of loyalists picked up and left. Um, you had, you know, the Mohawk tribe remained uh, allied with the British. So, you know, you're on Mohawk lands as well. And there was all these raids and stuff coming in. So basically forts and fortified homes were pretty much set up to provide protection, you know, for, for people, the settlements. And so basically if, you know, the alarm rang and, and raiders were coming through, it gave them a chance to, you know, take, you know, have a place for protection. So Fort Plain basically started as a fort like that. It started off as like a small stockade. You had the Cherry Valley Massacre uh, at the, in November of 1778. So we don't have an exact record that says, you know, Fort Plain was built on this date. Matter of fact, when in August of 1780, there was a, a pretty good sized raid led by Joseph Brandt that came through our area, burned down a lot of the settlements. And they talk about a fort with no name, you know, like a little fort that basically, um, you know, they didn't, they try not to attack the fort. So they were avoiding it, but in some of the correspondence after the, you know, where they're talking about the destruction and, you know, so they, in one of the letters, I believe it says, you know, John Abiel's house, which is corn planters, uh, father actually lived, his house is right on the, you know, the hill uh, below uh, the fort, they actually burnt his house. So as they're talking about that, they mentioned a fort with no name wasn't bothered or something or just below the fort with no name. So basically, we know that was Fort Plain. Uh, basically, Fort Plain was built uh, probably towards the end of 78 going into the spring of 79. Uh, so basically, it started off as a stockade just to uh, for the inhabitants to just go in. So if the alarm rang, they had a place for refugee. But then that raid, I was just talking about the August 2nd raid with Brandt, where, you know, was bringing more dangerous times. And so General Van Rensselaer, he was the general of the Albany militia at the time, came through. And when they came through, uh, you had the big raids after August 2nd. You had the Sir John Johnson raids, where the, that was part of the Battle of Stone Arabia and Clocks Field. So they, in October, uh, you had this big prong coming down from Canada. They came through, they swept all the way down through Schoharie River Valley, uh, which is about south uh, east of us. And then they came back up through the Mohawk River Valley. And they basically, uh, there's several reasons. We're actually having a, a battlefield study right now. It's almost complete. That's going to come out about the battles of Stone Arabia, Clocksfield. That'll get into the whole reasons behind this. But pretty much they came through, they raided. So when Van Rensselaer and the Albany County Militia came from Albany and they came west to kind of provide some relief, he kind of establishes Fort Plain as his headquarters. So he sees this little fort. It's on, on a top of a huge hilltop. Uh, he establishes his headquarters. Then you get the Battle of, of Stone Arabias and Clock Field. Uh, Sir John Johnson and the British and the Indian allies are able to retreat across the river at night after the Clock's Field battle. Uh, this was October 19th, 1780. And basically they were allowed to get away at night and Van Rensselaer, didn't really pursue him hard enough. I guess it depends who you ask. And so he was basically, the local people didn't like him. He was actually brought up on court martial. Uh, I believe it, you know, he's found innocent of any wrongdoing, but basically he establishes that as headquarters, they call it Fort Rensselaer. You got other people that want to call it Fort Plain. So we, we have this identity of like all these <laughs> names that, you know, back in the like, you know, 19th century historians couldn't get it right. They were actually calling another homestead in the current day village of Canajahari that still stands. And they were actually calling that Fort Rensselaer. And that's, and they were saying George Washington was there. But, you know, after all the research and source documents were found and, and stuff, we definitely know that wasn't Fort Rensselaer, that Fort Plain was. There's Colonel Marinus Willett. There's letters going back and forth about the whole issue with the name change. Um, so that, you know, there was just a lot, you know, a lot going on, you know, George Washington, I, I think, uh, Norm Bolin, our, our chairman that I was talking about earlier, really wrote this excellent book, uh, called George Washington, the Mohawk frontier. And he really gets into all that stuff about the naming of the forts. And, and even, you know, in the, in the book, he shows some examples where, 
you know, somebody's writing to Washington and calling it Fort Rensselaer and they're looking for supplies. And then somebody else is calling it Fort Plain. So George Washington is even thinking there's two forts and he's like, what's <laughs> going on? And finally has to be, you know, included in that Fort Rensselaer. But basically, you know, so it was a stockade in 79, 80, you know, end of 1780, Van Rensselaer comes in. And then after that, I believe it was in like May of 1781, Colonel Marinus Willett establishes it as his headquarters. And then they start to build up the, the hilltop into this kind of huge, massive uh, fort complex. They built this huge three-story blockhouse, like on the opposite side of the hill from the stockade. Um, it, uh, and they just really just built up the fort with different fortifications. Uh, uh, we found through archaeology the site of the blockhouse. We found the site of the bake shop, the blacksmith shop. We know where the stockade and all the barracks and stuff were. Uh, and then even like through like, uh, you know, aerial photographs from like the 70s and some other stuff you could see, you know, where they took the photos. You can even see like stuff in the grass where it looks like, you know, there's a redoubt and some different things that were, you know, different earthworks. So it's kind of really neat. And, and it basically... Uh, it re kind of remained a fort. I was through the end of the war and it kind of became a supply depot. And there's even some people who travel through and they say they see the fort or the blockhouse because they really stored supplies there. And I believe in like 1800 when they were building uh, the naval, I believe down in uh, New York City, they, they were building naval ships. They eventually moved a lot of the supplies from Fort Plain to Cannon and, and guns and stuff down to uh, down to there to supply those ships. So that's basically, you know, in a nutshell, uh, the history of that. So when uh, the Colonel uh, Marnus Willett comes in, who are the troops? Are these just all New York militia that are going to fight in these small little oh, engagements? Or are they Continental soldiers as well? Yeah, you know, there's a mix of both. Um, actually, they started to raise New York levies, which I believe were kind of militia. Some, I know I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm not going to try to explain it. But New York levies are, you know, they're kind of like, I know they're not necessarily considered like continental service, but they, you know, they're treated more like an army. I believe they get like you, they might get uniforms, but they're basically, I don't know. I don't want to use the term full-time militia. Maybe somebody's on Facebook feed that will correct me on that. Um, and, and if there is somebody, please do so. Cause you know, but, um, but basically there was the New York state levies. Um, there was some militia in and out and there was some continental troops, um, you know, the second New Hampshire was stationed there in like 1782. Uh, Don Haggis wrote that book, The Last Men of the Revolution, uh, based on uh, the last men uh, back during the Civil War. You had this Reverend Hilliard that went around and took pictures and interviewed like six or seven surviving uh, Rev War soldiers that were still surviving back in like the early uh, 1860s or you know, I believe it was during the Civil War. So Don Haggis a few years ago uh, took the concept of that book and redid it because Hillier just went around and took these guys story and just basically whatever they said, he just put it that in the book and said, that's what they did. Don Haggis actually went through each of the six soldiers and verified what they did and, and what they really did. And then included the original text from the original book from the 1860s. And, you know, this is a nice comparison and stuff. But anyways, one of the guys, Samuel Downing, who had his picture taken and survived up through the Civil War, I believe it was like 107 when he died, actually served at Fort Plain and he had his picture taken. So it was kind of neat that we had, you know, somebody here from the 2nd New Hampshire Continental Regiment or and had his photograph. And we actually were able to find an original photograph that was, you know, printed. It looks like a little baseball card, like from the early 1900s. And <laughs> And so we were able to find one. We have it on exhibit. And so it was kind of neat to see the face of somebody that actually was there when the fort was there. No, that's amazing. You know, especially yeah. you don't get that link uh, too often. Uh, yeah. The uh, on that same end, so these actions against Sir John Johnson, um, what are, are they, I don't want to call them like the side campaign. How do they fit into like a larger picture if someone's trying to oh. figure out the, the history? Well, it's kind of interesting because we're doing we're currently with the National Park Service and through uh, uh, South River Heritage Consultant, uh, Wade Katz and Rob and Robert Selig. They're working on the, the battlefield study. Um, and then we also have with, through the museum, we have the Stone Arabia Battlefield um, Committee. So we've been talking about this a lot and the importance of these raids that came in towards there in the uh, October 1780. And you also had some raids. There was also, you not only had Johnson's raid, but there was two other raids from Canada. You had one that was hitting like the Saratoga area 
and through Boston Spa, there was, there was this, I think on the same day, uh, October 19th, the area of Boston was, was also burned out and raided. And then also there was another prong that was going through Vermont and raiding, you know, or it wasn't Vermont then, but, you know, current day Vermont uh, now. And so it was kind of like, as we're looking at this, we did find a couple letters in the Haldeman papers that made me kind of suggest like, all right, the British, they don't know how the war is going to end, but then those up in Canada, because, you know, I mentioned I volunteered at uh, Old Fort Johnson, uh, but in 1762, Sir William Johnson builds this other huge mansion in the current uh, city of Johnstown. And I believe it was 62, 63 that it was built and completed. So then he moved up there. Sir John lived in Old Fort Johnson. So you have these two big mansions and they still both survive to this day. They, they're both open as uh, uh, Sir Johnson Hall's estate historic site and Old Fort Johnson is a not-for-profit site and you could both go visit them in the summer. But those were both his homes. And so just, the, just that one family alone, but you had other families that were allied with them and were loyalists and you know, a lot of, they had a lot to lose if they didn't you know, win the war. You know, they were losing a lot of land holding. So you know, between that and a couple letters you know, I don't want to, you know, we're still kind of, so I don't want to just throw things out there, but there seems to be maybe something that ties in with depopulating the area or at least moving out the area so they can claim it in case, you know, however the war ends, you know, they can maybe set up shop and take stronghold of their lands back and say, all right, well, we're here, you, you know, whatever, ha you know, you can't kick us out. So there's some of that. And, you know, not to mention, you know, the, the Mohawk River Valley is supplying wheat to the Continental Army. So, you know, you have that aspect of it. They were coming through. They were burning, you know, areas and, you know, killing livestock and burning farms and, and uh, supplies and stuff. So, you know, you got that aspect of it, too. And, you know, and then also, you know, it kind of almost corresponds with Benedict Arnold and the whole treason at West Point. And, you know, so did that tie with it? So that's, you know, our, uh, our consultants are looking at all that stuff and seeing if there is a bigger picture. So unfortunately, they're not quite done with it yet where I could say it's that, that, but, you know, hopefully within the next uh, month or two, we'll be able to put something out there. So, I mean, it's kind of, uh, we were talking uh, two weeks ago on CalPens, how like it's a, a neighbor versus neighbor thing. Same thing's happening mm -hmm. in New York and so forth. Uh, we do have uh, one question. It's kind of along that, mm -hmm. um, you know, someone you mentioned earlier, the chief uh, corn planner, uh, uh, Sandy, <laughs> writes that, is this the same uh, one that's buried in the reservation in Salamanca, New York? I know, if I pronounce that right, I'm curious if his tribe traversed the entire southern tier of New York. So, uh, the to be honest with you, I don't know where he's buried. There, I, there's really only one corn planter, um, John O'Beal. Um, he was a fur trader, I believe, and and actually, um, I don't believe he was married to corn planter's mother, but you know, fur trade and all that stuff going down. And so, uh, corn that was corn planter's father. And actually, when they raided in August second, um, he actually came to the house and you know introduced himself. You know, remember me as your son and. You know, I actually gave his father the ultimatum of staying or, go, you know, going back with them or he would they wouldn't kill him, but they would let him stay. And he chose to stay. But anyways, I'm not quite sure where corn planter. Uh, what I'll do is I'll find that out for you and I'll just message. I'll look for the message on the link here and I'll let you know. I'm not sure if I don't know. I only know one corn planter. So if they say corn, you know, it's probably him, but I'll definitely check that for you. I did add it to the research, see what uh, rabbit yep. hole you go down, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, how it exactly. works. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit. So we have it's Port Plain, uh, Renesleer. I can't pronounce that, my Baltimore accent. Um, and we also have yep. the Stone Arabia. Um, so are they in the same area? Are they, how far distant are yep. these two? Yeah, they're pretty much in the same area for because, you know, during those battles, you had troops at Fort Plain that actually go over and, you know, because let me just i'll start kind of start from the beginning of that day it's august or uh, sorry october 19th uh, 1780 uh, you got sir john johnson they were camping out by those noses i was talking about earlier and then that morning they start coming more uh, west towards stone arabia um, and that's where the early morning engagement so they engage so it's brant it's um and that's where colonel john brown is killed um I, I won't get into too much details of the fighting, but pretty much they clash. Colonel John Brown is killed right on the spot. And basically it's a victory for the, for the British. Um, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a long moving battle. So basically if you ever come to the current day Fort Plain, uh, we're on kind of the, 
well, there's a kind of a weird bend in the river. So sometimes we're on actually the, the, the east side or the south, but basically we're on the south uh, part of the river. Stone Arabia is on the opposite side of the river, not quite directly, you know, almost diagonally across, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a couple miles, but basically it's all in the, the same area. Stone Arabia is part of the Palatine district. So we're part of the Canajahari district on the south side. And Stone Arabia is part of the Palatine district on the north side. Okay. So uh, what? Um, so what is left of the the battlefield then? When you are you because you sit on that board? Yeah. So basically, the Fort Play Museum. Uh, we took up the initiative of getting a, a National Park Service grant through the net for, through the ABPP, uh, American Battlefield Protection Program, mm -hmm. and so we you know we just want to set off. We you know even though we're Fort Plain, we're kind of in you know we. We try to like cover the whole Mohawk Valley in our area as far as the war goes. So we set up this committee of historians that have been doing it for a lot longer than I have since the 70s, uh, 60s. Um, you know, our, one of our more members, Wayne Lennig, uh, he's been doing this since the 60s, doing all this research, driving out to all these different little places and finding stuff. Uh, we have another excellent historian, James F. Morrison, who's been doing this since he was a teenager. And they just, it's been their life, you know, since, you know, the 60s, 70s. And, and it's just amazing of all the stuff they know. So basically we put this committee together. Uh, the battlefield now is currently a lot, the majority of its farmland or, you know, homes. And it's really, you know, so it's actually kind of, I don't want to use the word pristine or untouched, but it's basically, you know, it's not like there's no factories. There's not a Walmart on it, you know, so it's basically... <laughs> You know, it's just nice countryside, nice farm. And so basically, you know, we're getting a study done. We want to understand the battles better, why they happen, um, what took place during the battles. And basically then we could put it out there. And then the uh, the clocks battlefield, which came second in the day, because both battles were on the same day. So basically they were like one battle. You had this or you had Stone Arabia kind of in the morning. And then the then the you know, the battle starts shifting, you know, the British start moving more to the West and Van Rensselaer finally catches up because Van Rensselaer wasn't there for the Stone Arabia battle, but they catch up for Clocksfield. That happens in the afternoon. Then there's this afternoon battle until dark and it's kind of a running battle going down, you know, along the river through current day St. Johnsville. And so St. Johnsville is a little more built up, more homes, more residential stuff. There's a, you know, a couple of factories. So that battlefield, you know, it's, it, you know, it's not gonna, you know, there's not going to be any more building on it, but it's not like the Stone Arabia part of it where it's mostly farm fields. And, and so basically the study will help us uh, see what we can preserve, see what we can do, whether if we can build a battlefield park. Now I'm on the battle or the uh, Stone Arabia Preservation Society. Uh, that's, that's the church group there. There's a church there that was burned out during the battle. They rebuilt it in 1788 and this, that church still stands. And there's a really great group there that's been taking care of that church for a, a while now. And so basically, you know, they, that's also the site where John Brown was buried. So his grave is there as well. Um, so there's a lot of good history there with the church and the area. And we're just hoping, you know, with the museum and coming together and, you know, try to, you know, whether if it's a battlefield, you know, I don't want to call it another battlefield park, but, you know, we do have some visions of that, or, you know, at least we'll be able to interpret it through some more signage and some other programs and stuff. So, and, uh, good so we there as well. So from that, uh, from what I've seen, I've not made the visit up to Fort Plain. It's on the, on the list to do, uh, but, uh, Fort, the, uh, you do have some decent acreage. It's not just the fort or the museum, correct? Yeah. Like pretty much we, well, it's kind of funny. We own the majority of the fort site, except for earlier when I was explaining the stockade part that came first. That's actually on the Fort Plain. The Fort Plain Cemetery sits right next to us. Um, and so basically they own the part that the stockade part was on. And it's kind of funny because they did bury on some of the fort out, outer fortifications because actually the if you, you know, when you come up, you know, I give you a whole tour, you can see the whole layout, but basically, yeah, we, we do own a lot of property. I, I believe it's, uh, I don't misquote, it's, I don't know, 120 acres comes to mind, but I, I could be misquoting, but basically, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of area. We got a lot of, uh, uh, we got a lot of interpretive signage. There's not, you know, there's no existing buildings or anything like that. There are some earthworks you can see. That's kind of cool. 
but basically that's what we're actually striving for, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, is actually we're we're putting together this whole strategic plan for the live for the for the museum, not only to add on museum buildings, but also to reconstruct some of the buildings for educational purposes, uh, enhance the park through there with nice walking trails, with more signage, possibly archaeology sites, um, and and what have you. Like, you know, we do have uh, you know aspirations to rebuild the blockhouse. It's a big three-story block square blockhouse. It's you know we got the plans for it. Um, I think in the early 80s that, you know, somebody actually found the plants from the blockhouse in the uh, American Antiquarian Society out in uh, Boston. And so we actually have the exact plans to rebuild it. It's just, uh, you know, we, we're going to put together a whole strategic plan for the museum. We're going to fundraise and and hopefully start putting the fort back in Fort Plain, which that's how the museum started. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So for starting that, so uh, right now, if someone comes up, these plans are in motion. But uh, what's what is the museum like? If, uh, yeah. You know, currently, the museum, it's uh, you know, you had the you had the same family, so it was the Leip family that lived on the site when it was when the fort was there. They continued to live there, you know, probably through almost early 1900s, maybe even through the 1900s, you know, mid 1900s. And so, basically, the current museum is an 1847 uh, stone stone house. It also includes the rebuilt, not a, I don't want to call it a replica, but there was a colonial home that was attached to it. And it was either taken down or fell down in the, in the late 1800s. So they kind of, in the early 2000s, they rebuilt this building. And the museum is, is decent size. We got a lot of exhibits um, in this new building I was talking about that they built in 2000. And the main floor of it, it's all, uh, entire exhibit is the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley, and it covers it from beginning to end. So as you walk through and wander through, you're learning about the war in the Mohawk Valley from 75 right on through the end in 83. You're also learning about the fort too. So the fort, you know, the different phases of the fort are in, you know, the proper timeline. So as you went through and, and that, and that's been, we finished that exhibit about five years ago, and there's artifacts that go with it to tell the story. And, you know, we got nice wall panels. We use nice images where possible. And, and uh, so basically that's what one would see. Then we got to, you know, obviously the bookstore is not just online. It's actually, you know, it's actually a brick and mortar uh, a building. So when you go in, you can see all 500 plus titles there. And then the other part of the museum, the stone house, um, we got a lot of art, like the front room, we have archaeology uh, artifacts from uh, the blockhouse, from the fort site. Um, there was another homestead on the other side of the river where where they said George Washington stayed was the Warmouth House. Um, I forget the war, I forget his first name, but basically it was a homestead there that George Washington stayed at when when he came through the area in '83. Uh, they did some archaeology before the current property owners uh, built their garage and stuff on it. Uh, so we got artifacts from that site. And then uh, the front living room is kind of done up uh, to represent like the, the time frame of the house in 1847. And then we also have a large uh, Native American exhibits and stuff too in there, you know, because that's, you know, obviously goes with, with everything as well. So that's all incorporated in the museum. So there's really, you know, a lot of people, you know, we hear this a lot like, oh, we didn't know you were there. And, oh, you, you know, little museum. But when they leave, they actually say, wow, that was a lot to see and a lot to do. And you know, upstairs in the 1847 house, we got a whole room on the Stone Arabia battlefield. Uh, there's a lot of artifacts, um, a lot of uh, buttons and musket balls that tell the story came off the site. And that's all included in an exhibit. And then on the other side, we got a nice big room full of uh, 18th, 19th century uh, farm tools and, and all different kind of uh, cool things. So, yeah, it's it's really packed and loaded. You know, you really get your day's worth and. And not to mention, if you come up to the museum for a day, there's several other sites to see to really make it a long weekend if you want to. So, so what? Uh, so put in uh, another perspective because uh, I was doing some pre preliminary research for uh, for this tonight, and you type in Mohawk River Valley, you're in the Kanajahari district. Um, so, are they? How close are you? I mean, I don't want to ask the, the stupid question, but I will. Um, are you? Are you part? You said earlier you're not part of the 
the Mohawk River Valley, but are you is Fort Plain in the no in Fort the Plain is yeah I think okay. Fort Plain is yeah earlier when I was speaking that's where I kind of grew up was outside of okay. uh, yeah but um nope Fort Plain sits right on the Mohawk River so, so when you're up on the hilltop and you're you know up on the site you're looking right out and and there's you know the Mohawk River you know is flowing right through there and um and basically you know the river you know we had a a ferry like opposite of the, the museum entrance it was Walder's ferry that you know they would have used back in colonial times to get back and forth across the river because uh, there was a settlement there so right around the fort area uh there was what was called the sand hill settlement so basically the canada Harry district was just this big huge land that they just gave it a name and and then basically there was all these different settlement names there you know sand hill settlement there was a church there so right by the fort there was a church or you know several homes i'm not sure of the number but um you know and so basically yeah it was just a little settlement right there on the river and so when then so back then when you think of canada Harry district and then i think just prior to the war, I think that's when they started using the word county. And then, you know, we were Tryon County, uh, named after Governor uh, William Tryon. Uh, and so basically we were Tryon County. Then I believe just either during the war or after the war, uh, we're actually Montgomery County now named after General Richard Montgomery. And then the county started off as this huge county and all these other counties were kind of broken off. And then the Canada Harry was no longer a district anymore. We became uh, the town of Minden, the village of Fort Plain, where the fort sits now. And then to the east of us, is just the modern day Canada Harry, where they kept the name and they just reused it for a village and a town. That's just more east of us, if that kind of clears that up, hopefully. Oh, it does. I appreciate it. Because when yeah. you uh, also too, so uh, it's Melissa, when you hear about that part of New York, the Melissa, Tryon County, isn't yeah. that also, am I, am I, or I might be misquoting, but isn't that Nicholas Herkheimer yep. and all them? Is that the Tryon County? So, yes, sir. Um, mm -hmm. do they, so are there men from the, uh, the area of the Fort Plain uh, that go with him, or is there a yeah. separate militia? Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe all the, I believe all the, each uh, district, so there was, uh, I, I used to know this off the top of my head. I know there were several districts. There was, uh, well, Canada Harry District, Palatine District. Uh, there was, I don't know if it was called the German Flats District. There might have been the King's District, and there was maybe one more. But basically, um, there was several, and I don't want to get this wrong, too. So hopefully if somebody's, see, if I had Jim Morrison sitting here next to me, explain <laughs> this all to you in like two seconds. Um, but basically, each district had their own militia. And so, yeah, General Herkimer, you know, they were meeting in taverns like in, uh, you know, current day Canada Johari, where there's a tavern still standing. You know, they were meeting there. You know, they were meeting in the tavern in Stone Arabia. Um, yeah. So basically they were, you know, they were gathering all the, the militia came from all the areas here. And there was a Canada Johari district, I believe. I'm not sure which number because you I know they. You know, there's, you know, the first Tryon County militia, second Tryon County militia and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure who gets which number, but basically I believe they numbered them down the line, but I don't want to get it wrong and even try to guess. Um, but basically, yeah, that's yeah. All those uh, militia members that went out to uh, Riskany and a lot of them lost their lives. Yeah, a lot of them came from our area. Yeah. So you can, people can visit that, um, and not only today can you just go for a long weekend, but uh, you're pretty big on, I mean, also yeah. virtual events, conferences, and yeah. symposiums. Uh, do you want to take a minute to talk about what's what's on tap? I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll just uh, yeah, real quick, just going back to the museum itself. The museum was pretty much established in the early uh, 1960s. Um, if you're familiar with Fort William Henry in Lake George, it's the rebuilt fort. Uh, the group that rebuilt that actually, once they were done there, or uh, they, I think they were done, they decided they wanted to come to Fort Plain and put the fort in Fort Plain. It was going to be like the same concept, you know, nice tourist attraction with the fort rebuilt. So they came in in like early, I think it was 1960, 1961. They started doing work, archaeology. They excavated the whole hilltop, you know, trying to look for the spots where the fort was. And then unfortunately, the archaeologist passed away like after a year. And basically, the whole uh, and then the investor kind of walked away. And so basically it was left for the local inhabitants. I mentioned Wayne Lenning earlier, his father, Donald Lenning, Lenning did a lot of work on the site. Um, so they kind of, they formed the Fort Plain Group Museum and basically they've been uh, taking care of the site ever since. And, you know, whether if it was archeology span in the sixties and seventies, and we even did some archeology span within the last 10 years. And, you know, it's pretty much to where the current museum is now. Um, yeah, going to, like you said, you brought up our conferences. Um, 
I mentioned that book earlier by Don Haggis that when he was coming out with that book, I guess it was more than a couple of years ago. When I said a couple of years ago earlier, it's more like five or six years ago. Uh, he was, you know, in touch with us about Samuel Downing and I know Norm Boland helped him with some of the stuff in the book. And so when he was like telling us what he was doing with that book, we we're like, Oh, when you get the book though, we, you know, got to have you come speak at the museum about it. And so basically we started uh, pulling together some speakers and then we had a couple other speakers that were interested in talking and it basically uh you know went from like a two or three speaker event to, uh, it was a whole day conference and so in, in 2015 uh, we kicked that off i believe we held it in may of that year uh late may and you know we're a small museum if we do a free event at night we you know we get a lot of nice local people you know we get maybe 20 30 people in the room and you know we have a nice evening and you know so we weren't as we were holding the conference we, we weren't expecting uh you know more than maybe 50 people 40 50 people and the first year we did it we had 150 to 160 people signed up and you know we were just really like you know like really just uh we couldn't believe it it was like you know we were in shock and kind of still are and ever since then we've just been building on it we moved it to june like this year it's june 9th through the 12th um we did hold it last year we held it last april it was kind of uh i don't want to call it a scale down but we basically were able to hold it you know we uh we used to do like a fundraising dinner so we didn't do that and uh and basically everything was just perfect for us in august uh, so we had to cancel back in 2020 able to hold it last year which was great to see everybody again uh, so we're now we're, we're going back to our original June June dates uh, this year. Uh, and really, uh, we added on to the conference this year um, due to COVID and having to cancel. And I had a long list of speakers that I had confirmed for all these years, and I didn't want to keep pushing people off. So we actually extending the conference this year. Uh, Thursday, June 9th will be our bus tour, which I believe we're going to do a, a Riskini and, and Stanwix is going to be the theme in general Herkimer. So it was cool that you brought them up yes. earlier. That's going to probably be the theme of our bus tour. And so that's going to be on Thursday. And then on Friday, um, we'll give people the morning to do their own thing. We might even hold a book sale at the museum. And then and the conference is actually going to start one o'clock on Friday afternoon. Normally we don't kick it off until the evening, but we're going to, we're going to start it at one o'clock. Uh, we're going to have probably three talks. And last year we started this new thing called the fireside chat, where we put up a couple chairs, a table in between. Uh, we gave a speaker and an interviewer mics and a, you know, we put, so last year we had uh, uh, William Fowler who, uh, he wrote several great books. He, he wrote a book about uh, uh, the last couple of years of the war, uh, American crisis. Uh, he's wrote a biography on John Hancock. He's written biography on Samuel Adams. He's written stuff on the Naval. I believe he's even got some civil war and French and Indian war books in there. Really great guy, great author, great speaker. So he was our first, uh, I guess he was our, our guinea pig. And uh, the interview viewee, uh, uh, Christian Despina, who uh, wrote uh, Founding Martyr, uh, the Joseph Warren biography, which is also an excellent book. And yeah, very good. And, uh, yeah. and so basically we had Christian interview uh, Bill and it was great. And they just had great chemistry. You know, there was a lot of good history, a lot of good personal stuff, a lot of good laughs, a lot of good questions from the audience. And it really just took off. So this year we're going to actually hold, we're going to keep it going. And and this year we got uh, Dr. Bruce Venter who uh, who wrote the uh, the Battle Hubberton book. He also has got Killed Jeff Davis Civil War books, pretty good too. And he's going to interview uh, uh, John Jack Buchanan, who's wrote The Road to Guilford Courthouse, The Road to Charleston, The Road to Valley Forge. And he's also got a new book coming out on Musgrove's Mill, actually, I think within another year. So that'll be uh, something to look forward to. And um, so uh, Bruce is going to interview uh, Jack and, and we think it's going to be, I know they're good friends, both of them. So that helps. So when, so I think it's just going to be a nice back and forth, uh, nice candid and uh, a fireside chat, but we got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good lineup this year. Um, I won't go through them all, but we got Ed Langle. He's going to talk about light horse, Harry Lee in the Southern campaign. I spoke about Bill Fowler. Uh, he's actually going to do a talk on John Hancock and Samuel Adams. Uh, uh, James Kirby Martin's going to give a talk on, uh, uh, it's pretty much the, the warfare in the New York frontier for, for through the entire war. So he's going to talk about, you know, the brutalness of it. And actually I'll give you the, the title of his talk. It's a contagion of violence, the human slaughter in the frontier, uh, frontier, New York, uh, 1775 through 1783. So he's really going to get into like that nitty gritty stuff that, you know, it's not always, uh, 
nice about the here. And uh, Mark Ed, Edward Lender, he's going to be there. He's got a new book coming out on Ticonderoga. And he's going to actually talk about a part of that book, which was John, John Brown's raid on Fort Ticonderoga. So before he was killed at Stone Arabia, uh, basically, uh, you know, John Brown, uh, you know, uh, put off this raid. So Mark will tell us all about that. Uh, we got Ricardo Herrera. He's got a new book coming out, Feeding Washington's Army, Surviving the Winter Valley Forge of 1778. Um, Eric Schnitzer is going to talk about the Black and African-American military men at Saratoga. Uh, he's a great historian, great speaker. His book is excellent. If you haven't uh, gotten his book, Don Tarani's Campaign, it's definitely one worth getting. Uh, Lindsay Travinsky, she's got, she did a book a couple of years ago on the cabinet, George Washington's yeah. cabinet. So she's going to tie in like councils of war in the cabinet and how the Revolutionary War shaped Washington's presidency. So she's going to tie those two in. Um, Craig Bruce Smith's going to talk about honor in the Continental Army. Uh, we got David Head, who did a book back in the end of 19, I believe, which was all about the Newberg conspiracy. Um, Christmas, Christian McBearney has got a new book about the uh, uh, the American privateers war on the British African slave trade. And then uh, Glenn F. Williams, who wrote the book Year of the Hangman, is going to talk some more about the Sullivan campaign. He's going to talk about leadership from both sides, and he's going to talk about the different uh people involved in, you know, the different views from all the different angles, whether if it was, uh, you know, native, British, American, and so on. And then we have Robert Selleck to round it off. Uh, he's going to talk about how the army moved from Rhode Island down to Yorktown before the, uh, you know, the surrender and what have you. So we definitely got a, uh, a long, <laughs> nice long weekend. It'll be a lot of fun. And yeah. No, it sounds like, uh, I mean, great list. Um, we have uh, actually uh, Lindsay Travinsky will be speaking at the uh, symposium here. We're holding with Historic Alexandria in September uh, about she's doing a different aspect. Uh, it's her, She's working on a new book, I think, on John Adams. And it'll talk about the international mm -hmm. diplomacy. So um, that conference is, uh, you said, June 9th through 11th, correct? Uh, John, uh, June 9th through the 12th, so Thursday through, through Sunday. Yeah, and it's um so people uh, we got a uh, question. What is the name of the conference? Is it the Fort Plain Rev War Conference? Yeah. Okay, um, uh, it's, no, it's called the American. Yeah, it's called the American Revolution Mohawk Valley Conference. Um, if if yeah, if you just Google us, so if you put in Fort Plain Museum, or if you just type in FortPlainMuseum.org or FortPlainMuseum.com, it'll take you all to the same page. You'll go to our page. You'll see our events. And if you just click on the, the event, we actually we're adding a second conference this year. Um, I spoke about Sir William Johnson earlier um, in October. Uh, let me just pull up my in October 21st uh, through the 23rd. We're actually kicking off our annual Sir William Johnson and the Wars for Empire conference. And it's basically going to cover everything prior to the to the revolution. And so we'll get into Sir William Johnson and, you know, and his relations with upstate New York and the Mohawk River Valley to all the different uh, wars. Um, we have like Michael Laramie is going to actually be given two talks because he's written uh, several books. He did King William's War and he also did Queen Anne's War. So he's going to talk about both of those. Um, we've got Darren Bonaparte's going to talk about Wampum and Sir William Johnson and the Haudenosaunee. Um, we got David Preston, who is our he is our head of faculty and he's basically our head historian on the whole conference. Uh, he wrote that book, that awesome book, Braddock's Defeat in the Battle of the Mangahelia and the Road to the Revolution. Um, he is our head of faculty. He's gonna talk about Sir William Johnson and the shaping of, of operational environment in 1755. So he's gonna kind of, you know, kick it off and, and, and then we got several other talks I won't go through them all, but that's also on our website too. So. And that's also going to include a bus tour. So that's going to be a Friday through Sunday conference. We're going to do a bus tour on Friday. It's going to be all about the Battle of Lake George, I believe, in, uh, let's see, 1755. And I'm actually excited about this because I do more on the revolution. And, you know, because of family and kids, I don't, I don't venture out because I like the Civil War too, but I don't venture there as much, you know. And so I'll be learning a lot of stuff myself, so. Perfect. Um, so lots going on uh, at the Fort Plain Museum. Uh, 
as we kind of wrap it up here, we're going a little bit yep. over. So thank you, folks. Oh, for yep. No, you're you're fine, Stan, uh, Brian. It's we're, uh, we're wanted to run this a little longer since uh, we didn't get started right on time. So thank you, folks, for sticking past eight o'clock hour uh, with us. Um, a lot of great things going on at the Fort Play Museum. Um, I, before I kick it back to Brian for final comments and closing, I just want to say that if you need a uh, a book, I mean, Brian has been great. Uh, support that local museum. Uh, that's what Emerging Revolutionary War likes to do. Um, We'll have to plan a trip up some of the historians. Um, we we yeah. tend to buy a decent amount of books. Um, I think you've uh, <laughs> helped me uh, get a, quite a selection, but there's conferences are there. The website's there. Get out and uh, support these uh, sites as well. Um, but Brian, uh, final uh, one last awesome point, cool story, closing remark. Um, if you want to uh, shout out the Minnesota Vikings, you can. Because, no, I won't do, uh, I won't do that because that's awful. <laughs> No, I just I just want to say thank you, Phil. Thank you, Emerger and Revolutionary War. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, I think it's great to see all these groups and what they're doing. And, you know, whether it's us at Four Plain, you guys, there's several other groups like us that are just out there really hitting the history hard and, and really just trying to get it out there for people and making it available. And I think, you know, I I'm pretty sure I could speak for all of us when I say it's been a really great success to see all the, you know, I've met so many wonderful people through this that, you know, I keep even, you know, some days I wake up, I got to pinch myself because there's just, you know, all, you know, people from, you know, I used to, you know, say, oh, I have a lot of nice friends here. But I, you know, I say I got friends from all over the country and it's, you know, I'm not lying when I say that because, you know, I do truly uh, feel that. And, you know, it's just really been great. So, again, I thank you. I think it's wonderful. I appreciate having us on anything we can ever do to work, you know, together. You know, we're definitely all for that. And, you know, I definitely look forward to seeing the, the events you guys got coming up and I'll keep following you. Thank you. We appreciate it, Brian. And then likewise, so uh, that's Brian Mack, uh, who sits on the board of almost every uh, community uh, <laughs> Red War thing in the uh, the local district. So we won't go through the whole list, but it is impressive uh, what you're able to do. Thank you uh, for keeping the history alive there. Make sure Google Fort Plain or fortplain.org uh, yep. so you can go to find about the conference and all those good things. Um, if you have any other questions for Brian or Fort Plain, um, you can also go to the Emerging Revolutionary War.org, leave us a message. We'll make sure it gets to Brian. Um, we are, uh, this is uh, closing out the first month of 2022 here on the, the Rev War of Revelry. Uh, we'll get started back in February. We have uh, February 6th and 20th uh, will be our next events. So remember to check Facebook. Also, too, if I you want to get out onto the sites. I know we talked a lot about the different conferences, but we do have one the last September or last Saturday in September, the 24th, the international implications of the American revolution. And then uh, it'll be held in historic Alexandria a partnership there. Uh, some great speakers talking about the French, even a topic on the Russian involvement of the American revolution. So kind of brought in the perspective there. And then if you uh, to get out on this, uh, our second annual bus tour, uh, the Formation of the American Army, uh, that'll be the Valley Forge in Monmouth. Um, so you get the November 11th through the 13th. Information on how to sign up for that tour is on uh, the blog, emergingrevolutionarywar.org. Uh, historians um, William or Billy Griffith, who penned the Monmouth Courthouse uh, Battle uh, for the Emerging River War series, and yours truly, who wrote Winner that Won the War, uh, Valley Forge, will be the two historians leading that bus tour. So, no, second annual Emerging Revolution bus tour, November 11th through the 13th. Uh, so, maybe it'll be slightly as cold as it was uh, at Valley Forge. It probably won't be as hot as it was at Monmouth in June of 1778. But uh, to close it out, thank you for sticking with us tonight with the technical difficulties. We'll be back in two weeks. Promise we'll have that iron out. Brian, thank you again for uh, joining us. Uh, we hope everyone enjoys the rest of your evening and we'll see you back here in two weeks.